Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Welcome back to my interview series. I'm really uh, proud and honored to have on today Stephen Moore. Um, an economist I've followed for a long time. He's an economic advisor to President Trump. He's on his Economic Recovery Task Force. A lot of you have read his material in the past. It's absolutely terrific. He's the author of the book, Trumponomics. We're going to get right to that. We discuss a lot of things. What's going to happen with this economy? Where we think it's going to go? We get into the, you know, what's going to happen with the election? We get into the debt. What the effects are going to be on it. It's a really fascinating interview about economics and uh, really how it's going to affect your pocket. So stay tuned. You're going to love it. Today's show brought to you by our friends at Omaha Steaks. Hey, Father's Day is coming up. So give dad the gift he really wants this year. Perfectly aged, tender steaks. Omaha Steaks will deliver the world's best steaks and a huge variety of other favorites directly to your dad's door. Right now, Omaha Steaks offering our listeners access to a variety of amazing, amazing packages that are perfect to send dad for Father's Day. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the promo code Bongino, B-O-N-G-I-N-O, into the search bar. See all the great options available. Many include free shipping and a free one-pound package of the perfectly cured, incredibly thick applewood smoked steak cut bacon. It's hard to read this ad without my mouth watering. There are many packages available that are perfect for dad. They're all ready to be shipped straight to his door in time for Father's Day. Omaha Steaks is a variety of Father's Day packages that include their world-famous, delicious, my personal favorites, Omaha Steaks, naturally aged at least 21 days for tenderness and hand-carved to perfection. Burgers, franks, sausages, and other favorites, perfect for grilling. Premium poultry and pork cut by Omaha Steaks butchers and individually sealed for freshness and flavor. Tasty and easy to make side dishes, no work, one-step family meals, artisan desserts, and more. Right now, Father's Day package are ready to order and ready to ship. Many include free shipping and a free pound of their steak cut bacon. Omaha Steaks delivers guaranteed quality and, and safety with every order. So send dad a gift of food he'll love this year. Visit omahasteaks.com and type Bongino in the search bar to shop for Father's Day today. Now, Stephen Moore. All right, as I said in the intro, I'm really happy to welcome to the show um, a man I've read so much material from. I feel like we're personal friends already. Uh, and a former uh, or an economic advisor, excuse me, to President Trump and a member of his Economic Recovery Task Force and also the author of an absolutely terrific book, Trumponomics, uh, economist Stephen Moore. Steve, so great to finally talk to you on my show. It's an honor to have you here. Dan, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you got it. I've been reading your material and opinion pieces forever. As I said, I feel like I have a long uh, ongoing relationship with you at this point. So let me get right to it. Um, given your expertise in economics, I read recently one of, ironically, Barack Obama's former economic advisors, Jason Furman. He stated that this recession, obviously induced from this uh, awful coronavirus that's uh, been a, like a plague in our country, that the recovery from this may be different. Again, this is Obama's former guy. He suggested it's going to be a V with a quick rebound, suggesting that it's more like kind of a, a hurricane event in Florida where it hits, causes some economic dislocation, and then everybody goes back to work a couple weeks later. Do you echo that or do you think it's going to be kind of like a check mark down and up and then a slow drag from there? You know, uh, I, I, we don't really know. I mean, it's a tough question because we never really ever have experienced anything like this before, where you just shut down the engine of an economy that had been growing. By the way, and you know, when, before coronavirus hit, we had the best economy in 30, 40 years. It was right. we were booming. We had rising wages. We had plunging poverty rates, plunging unemployment rates. By the way, Dan, do you know what demographic group from 2017 through 2020 had the best rise? No, but I bet my audience would love to hear it as well as me. I bet you think about it. Black Americans, 
Black Americans. So that racist president created the best economy for blacks. Here's a statistic for you, Dan. You, you know, I, I bet a lot of people won't believe. In three years, Donald Trump created more economic advance for blacks in terms of incomes in three years than Obama did in eight years. You'd never hear that from the mainstream media, Steve. They, they, they yeah, tell you the exact that? opposite narrative. He's a racist. How could he have yeah. done that? Yeah, I mean, offensive. and by the way, very well, too. So the, the shame is that we we uh, we look at I've been saying this from the start. I think I was one of the first people to say it. I think it was one of the greatest errors in the history of this country that we shut down our economy. It was uh, it was an incredibly boneheaded decision by uh, mayors and governors around the country. And it's done substantial damage, substantial damage uh, to our businesses. The reason I'm not quite as optimistic as, uh, say, Jason Furman is about us coming out of this in a booming way. And Donald Trump's talked a lot about that. By the way, I hope I'm wrong. But I just think we've done so much damage to our businesses. You know, we have, we're going to see millions of businesses fail. And once a business goes bankrupt, it's not like Lazarus. You can't resurrect it. So we've, we've done a lot of damage. I think the summer is going to be bad. I think it's going to, people are going to be surprised that, hey, where are all those jobs that were there? Well, you know, you destroy a business, the jobs aren't necessarily there, but I do think by the fall, we'll start to see some improvement. And then we come to an election. And I think this election is really going to be decided on one issue. Uh, we're mostly one issue, Dan, and that is the question, do you think that Joe Biden or Donald Trump can lead this economy back to a great recovery? And I personally don't think that's a very hard uh question to answer. I think it's pretty obvious uh, which which of these two candidates can can do that. And Trump has a very strong line. He can say, look, I rebuilt the American economy once before and I can do it again. Yeah, I mean, anyone looking at this rationally can't seriously answer that question and fill in the blank with Joe Biden. It's just un, it's right. not reasonable based on the facts and the data. Um, back again way, on this. What, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. See what happened uh, just just a day or two ago. Uh, uh, Joe Biden was speaking at the NAACP today. Did you see what he endorsed? No, I didn't see. Uh, he, he endorsed re- reparation payments. Oh, which, I, you know, I, I Thomas Sowell is an interesting, I was reading, uh, it was a, a quote or uh, actually, let me tell you, I'm not even sure it was because so much stuff is is, uh, is uh, attributed to Thomas Sowell on Twitter. I'm not even sure what Thomas Sowell said, but it sounded like Thomas Sowell, given that I've read most of his material. So something like, uh, you know, I, I can't believe we're holding people responsible for things they didn't do and not holding responsible people now for things they did do. It just, I, again, I don't, I don't get the logic of that economically. I mean, obviously it's a historical stain on our country that it can't be fixed. It had happened. It can be discussed. It can be discussed so we never repeat these sins again. But, the, the, you know, the, this, this idea of paying people for something they didn't do um, is is just uh, is quite bizarre. But again, on this v- potential V-shaped recovery, and I don't disagree with what you said at all. I think we'll, we'll, we'll recover, but I think it will be a tougher slog. Um, one of the things that worries me is, you know, now with our supply chains being globally interconnected and everything being JIT, just in time, you have this just in time delivery. You have the, you know, all of these very complicated multi cross border supply chains. That's not the kind of thing you can just stop and put a period on and then say, bang, we're going to restart again. That's what has me concerned. Yeah. So uh, that's right, because the rest of the world is is in a 
severe recession as well. And, you know, when we hurt our economy, we bring everybody down with us. I mean, we are the hub of the world economy. Uh, and that's one of the reasons this was so tragic, because the people who suffered the most are the poorest people in the United States and the poorest people around the world. The left doesn't care about that. I really do believe, I didn't believe this, Dan, a month ago, but I believe it today, that the left will do anything, even destroy the American economy, if that's what it takes for them to win in November. And so I think this a lot of this was orchestrated. I don't think it's just coincidence we spent a year and a half on a hoax on the, the Russia collusion. And from almost the mo- moment that that, uh, that mythology was crushed, then we moved to coronavirus. And then just when we're coming into a recovery, then we have the riots in the streets. And, you know, it's going to be one thing after another. Uh, but it's interesting to see what's going on in America, that the red state stand, yeah. Florida, Georgia, Texas, Tennessee, South Carolina, Iowa, Nebraska, Utah, Idaho, those states are coming back very strongly uh, and they're open for business largely. The problem we have is states like New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, my home state of Illinois, which is a disgrace uh, to some extent, California, they remain closed. It's hard to get the whole economy to grow when you got one third of the economy that's that's still in lockdown. By the way, every one of those states has a Democratic governor. Yeah, I mean, you have our major financial hub in New York. Uh, So, yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, With regard to some of the measures that have been taken on the governments and the PPP and other type programs, which, granted, I'm a deficit hawk. I'm a small government guy and I'm principled on it. I believe deficit spending is terrible and I don't change my mind. Having said that. This is different. This was a government-enforced shutdown. This was nothing anybody did wrong. It wasn't mortgage-backed securities. This was actually our government getting involved and saying, we must stop economic activity. On that, I don't have any objection to what they did to to really kind of backfill what was going to be a massive loss in income. Having said that, you and I both love and enjoy economics. That doesn't make the law of economics go away. Uh, we've poured now tons of money into the economy, essentially printed, whether digitally or not is irrelevant. It's still created. Do you see if economic activity does pick up and productivity doesn't dramatically pick up too, all of this money chasing the same amount of products and mass inflation? I mean, Friedman would be turning over in his grave right now if he knew all this money was out there chasing roughly the same or even lesser amounts of goods. Well, first of all, I hope, you know, let's go back to first roles in economics. One of the things you talk about, Thomas Sowell, he, he's certainly a hero of mine, but another hero of mine was Milton Friedman, uh, who I who actually knew pretty well at the end of his life. And, you know, Milton Friedman taught us, uh, you know, one of the most important lessons in economics. And you remember this one, Dan, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. If the, <laughs> government, right. the, golden if the government gives you a dollar, Dan, the only way the government can give you a dollar is to take a dollar away from me. You know, it's not like there's mana from heaven. And so all we've doing is redistributing income from one person to another. And we've we've reprodu- we've basically redistributed it from productive people to less productive people. So I, I was not a big fan of what we did. Uh, and I, I think that the, the key to recovery has always been one thing. Get the businesses open. It doesn't matter how many trillions of dollars of uh, spending bills Nancy Pelosi passes. It doesn't matter how much money the Fed prints. If you don't have people producing stuff, you know, the, the grocery stores are eventually going to be empty. Right. And so the key, the reason we saw such a blockbuster jobs report for May was because the businesses started reopening. And by the way, our group played a big part in that. We kept it's making a really strong case for why these businesses had to start up. All we needed to do 
All we needed to do is the one thing that uh, many of the Democratic governors didn't do, and that is keep the elderly safe. Dan, this is an old person's disease. There's no the evidence is irrefutable of that. A person over the age of 85 has a 5000 times higher probability of dying than someone in under the age of 25. Why in the world did we shut down our schools? Why? I mean, and by the way, you still got some states talking about not opening up their schools in the fall. I'm sorry I get agitated by this because there's no, such idiocy. Right. No, you're right. It's I mean, Steve, we could have taken this massive amount of money and allocated it towards payments towards our elderly and said, listen, we're going to figure and research and said, we're going to figure this out. But we I agree with you 100 percent. People with comorbidities, I think diabetes uh, and older folks. But if you are a young, relatively healthy male or female, the risk of dying is infinitesimally small. Of course, there's going to be, uh, you know, anecdotal evidence of people who've had serious trouble. But, yeah, I agree with you. This is uh, this was handled. For school children without any kind of other problems, you're, you're more likely to be die from a bolt of lightning than, than from coronavirus. So the point I'm making is if we'd been smart about this and we knew a lot of this to go into it, but we certainly know it now. And here's the thing. <laughs> there are seven states where they didn't keep the nursing homes safe. New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Illinois, I forget the other two. They were all blue states. This is what happens when you have Democrats running your government, whether it's the Democratic mayors or governors, they they are incompetent. Uh, Isn't it funny, Dan? You just got me going on this stuff now. I mean, I I have to confess, I go back and forth between Fox News and and CNN because I want to see what the other side is saying. I see you. You always do a great job on Fox, by the way. But, you know, CNN for for weeks and weeks. Remember this, Dan? Oh, Andrew Cuomo, he should be the president. I mean, he's so smart and he is just a brilliant guy and he's so well spoken and, and he should be the president. Dan, he's he is responsible for thousands of deaths in the nursing homes and he put sick people in the nursing homes and infected everybody. That's the paragon of competence that the Democrats talk about. You know, and, and meanwhile, you want to talk about the hero of the day. The guy who I think is really the rising star in the Republican Party is Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who's done an amazing job. And by the way, here's a great statistic for you, Dan. Florida and New York basically have roughly the same population, about 20 million people in each state. Florida is slightly bigger. New York had five times, five times as many deaths as Florida did. And Florida has an older population than New York does. And yet the people, the the media is like, oh, you know, DeSantis is killing his people. And, and, you know, and uh, Cuomo is a superstar and it's just the opposite. So you can't believe one thing the media has said about coronavirus. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. I I live in Florida and uh, Ron's done a fantastic job. He's really terrific down here. But just on the inflation thing, too, I don't want to forget. Do you see inflation? I know. Listen, I loved your comment. Don't get me wrong. But on the do you see I'm really genuinely worried about I read a piece of National Review. Uh, Forgive me. I forget who wrote it, uh, but it was someone. uh, uh, If I remember correctly, we we both would align with ideologically who was predicting the potential if if something doesn't change on the productivity front for near triple digit inflation. I mean, that's a big number. That's an enormous number. That's a potentially e- economy killing number. So no, I, uh, here's an area where, where look, um, 
I just wrote a piece about it. the big problem in the U.S. economy right now, other than the virus, is deflation, not inflation. We have falling prices right now, not rising prices. Look at what's happened. Commodities, they, their prices have fallen by about 25 percent this year. Oil, corn, copper, wheat. It's been a huge problem for farmers. The CPI index fell again. We don't have rising prices right now. So now that you're probably scratching your head saying, well, how can that be? Because the Fed's been just deluging the economy with money. And we're seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, zero interest rates by the Fed. And the answer to this puzzle is that whenever you have an international crisis like we have right now, the first thing that everyone around the world wants to buy is what? Dollars. Dollars. We are still the least rotten apple in the cart. So you've had a massive demand for dollars. And by the way, the other thing that's going on, because people are afraid, they are hoarding dollars. So there are a lot of dollars out there, Dan, but people are almost literally burying them in their backyard like they're a treasure. So right now there is not inflation, there is deflation. But I take your point that if we continue to do this over time, you would expect inflation. I mean, if you know, the inflation, as Milton Friedman taught us, is too many dollars chasing too few goods. And if you've got rising amount of dollars and less goods produced, eventually you will have inflation. Although I would say, I'd have to say to, you know, the I, I don't know who wrote that article about inflation. If you really believe that there's inflation, somebody has to explain to me why the 30-year treasury bond is selling at a 1.4% interest rate. Because that that's telling us as the market believes over the next 30 years, you know, the inflation rate will be less than 1.4%. Now, I, by the way, Dan, I'm not a great investment advisor. I would never buy one of those 30-year bonds at 1.4%. No, I, no, no, I don't. I don't buy anything. No, but you're not wrong, though. Even our tips bonds, which are supposed to be inflation protected, you'd see it there, right? There'd be wide spreads, and there's just not, which you're right, meaning people risking their own money and their own economic butts who know things, they're not all stupid, are saying, eh, I don't agree with either. I just, you know, I'm being a, a real uh, disciple of Friedman and being a monetary phenomenon on everywhere inflation you got to wonder if this thing starts to heat up sooner or later that money's going to start flowing again and it's got to start chasing some goods and productivity numbers just aren't high enough to justify the amount printed but i get your point um, i'm going to take a quick break we're talking to stephen moore author of the terrific book trumponomics go get it trumponomics barnes and noble amazon wherever you get your books pick it up trumponomics by stephen moore we'll be right back Today's show is also brought to you by our friends at Allform. If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know I love Helix mattresses. Well, I have great news. Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and started to make sofas. They just launched a new company called Allform, and they're making premium, customizable sofas and chairs ship right to your door. Super easy to assemble, too. We put it together. We put it together. We're not the handiest folks around here. So what makes an Allform sofa really cool for starters? It's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials and at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. Pick your fabric, and it's spill, stain, and scratch resistant. The sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size, and shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs, love seats, all the way up to an eight-seat sectional. So there's something for everyone. You can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want your all-form sofa to grow and change with you when you move. All-form sofas are also delivered directly to your home with fast, free shipping. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, it could take weeks or months to arrive. And you need someone to come and assemble it in your home. All-form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes. Took us 10 minutes, no tools even needed. 
Just turn, it's really that easy. I have an all-form sofa. We picked it out in gray. Check out ours. It took no time to put together and looks great. And if you're getting a sofa without trying it in a store, sounds a little risky. You don't need to worry. They've got 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. My daughter loves hers. It's not going anywhere. It's in our house for good. It's more than three months. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. You'll love it. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash Dan. And Allform's offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Dan. Check them out today. Terrific sofas. My daughter loves hers in her room. Allform.com slash Dan. Go today. All right, we're back with Stephen Moore, author of the great book, Trumponomics, economic advisor to President Trump and a member of his economic recovery task force. So we were just talking about inflation, Steve. Uh, one of the ideas I really liked uh, in order to uh, abide by the Friedman rule, you know, Friedman always said there's four ways to spend money. You can spend money on yourself. You can spend money on other people. Other people can spend other, other people's money on themselves and other people can spend other people's money on other people, right? And you spending money on yourself is always the most efficient. Friedman was a genius because cost and quality matter. So when you put people's money back in their pocket, it's spent efficiently. One of the ideas I love, I'd love to get your take on, is the idea of a payroll tax cut to juice the economy. It would mean a lot of money in a lot of people's pockets. What do you think? Well, you know, so I have this group called Committee to Unleash Prosperity that was was formed uh, by, uh, get this, uh, Dan, it's basically Steve Forbes, Arthur Laffer, it was Larry Kudlow, but wow. uh, Trump stole him from us and me. And so, and, the, Dream and team. all four of us, all four of us are in favor of exactly what you just said. So you get your A in economics today. Thank yeah, the single, what we keep urging on the president, no more spending bills, just do one thing. You want to get Americans back to work and you want to help the small businesses. We have 28 million men and women who run small businesses. And as you know, Dan, they are the, they are the spinal cord of our economy. Uh, what you do is you withhold, you, you suspend the payroll tax between, let's say, let's start July 1st through, uh, through the end of the year. That's going to give us seven and a half percent pay raise for every single worker in America. Every worker in America, even if they make the minimum wage, is going to seven and a half percent boost in their paycheck. Then on the employer side, I know you're an employer. You employ people. I do. We're going to get a seven and a half percent reduction in our payroll costs. Now, what would Milton Friedman tell us would be the impact of that? Well, if you if you reduce the cost of hiring a worker, guess what? You're going to get more hiring. If you pay people more to work, you're going to get people to work more. This is just this isn't complicated stuff. <laughs> right. And I want to hear Nancy yeah. Pelosi. I want Trump. See, I don't want Trump to negotiate with Pelosi anymore. Right. No more negotiating yeah. with that woman. He should give a national address and just tell the American people like Ronald Reagan used to do. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> Tip O'Neill, yeah. get behind this. Nancy Pelosi, get behind this. And he should say, we are going to cut the payroll tax and we're going to give every working class American a seven and a half percent pay raise. Now, Nancy Pelosi, why are you against that? And I can't yeah. wait to hear her answer. I mean, think about it. Reagan negotiated with a, a House majority of Democrats, a, 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 a what, 40 percentage point tax cut from 71 percent to 28 percent. I mean, think about that. I, 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 Pelosi, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of Tip O'Neill either. I feel yeah. like we lionize these people. But Pelosi no, seems to be a little different. That's right. But here's the point. What Reagan did so successfully, and Trump can do this because he's so when he when he talks directly to the American people, he is fantastic. I mean, look at his yeah. three State of the Union speech. Those have been knocked all those out of the park. So I want him to go over the head of Pelosi, go right to the voters, right to the voters. Say, what do you want? Pelosi wants to give the money to those 
the governors and the and the mayors, I want to give the money directly to you. And you know what? Not only is that good economics, it's good politics because the polls show by a three to one margin, people want the money. Remember the old line from uh, Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> show me. You're right. I love that line. Uh, so, uh, Steve, I'm shifting gears just slightly a moment here. Uh, you're a free trader. I'm a free trader. I'm also a fair trader. It does matter. Um, how should we deal with China? Uh, we can't just ignore them. They're one of the world's largest economies now. Obviously, they're integral to the global supply chain. Um, how should we deal with China? I know President Trump is was committed to that deal. I don't know where that's going to go, given what happened with the coronavirus. But what should we do? So, I, you know, Donald Trump is interesting because I've known Donald Trump now for about five years. I had not, had not met him until the campaign started and, and I had a meeting with him and I felt we talk about this in our book. I just fell in love with the guy. I mean, he's an amazing, just brilliant guy who is incredibly charming and nice, one of the nicest guys in the world. I love the guy. Yes. And uh, anyway, you know, he you know, we came in and we said, well, uh, he changed my mind a little bit on trade. No, I, I believe in free trade. I've always been a Milton Friedman free trader. But, I, you know, when you've got a communist country uh, that is uh, they are no longer any kind of friend they are We are in a new Cold War with China and uh, we have to treat treat them as an adversary. Uh, they cheat. They steal. Uh, we saw what happened with coronavirus. I think they're going to they I think that Trump should demand at least a half a trillion dollars of reparation payments from the Chinese for the germ warfare that they uh, they uh, spread around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think we need to get very tough with China. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know if tariffs is the right way to do it right now. I mean, Trump put in place a pretty good trade deal with China. I remember, just three or four months ago. That's right. But uh, what I am in favor of incentives, I spoke with Larry Kudlow just the other day. My, you know, Larry's my best buddy in the world. He's the best man in my wedding. So he and I are very close. <laughs> and, you know, what about this, Dan? We provide a zero tax on American companies to take their money out of China and bring that manufacturing back to the United States. Idea. That's a great idea. Uh, you know, one of the beneficiaries of China's uh, rogue trade policies has always been Vietnam and other countries as well, who appear more than eager to do business with the United States. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting answer because, you know, I've been um, really tormented by this, too. One of my favorite other podcasts, Steve, is uh, Russ Roberts' Econ Talk. Russ is just a genius. Um, a little bit different political. He's not necessarily a Trump guy, uh, if you could probably tell. But uh, he is principled. And he's a free trader as well. And he had uh, he had a an economist on, uh, forgive me, I, I know you know him, but I forget the name right now, but talking about China and how we just kind of wrongly assume that their entrance into the WTO um, and their economic growth would make their citizens crave liberty and more of it. And what they've really created is the world's biggest surveillance state and really a, you know, a boot on the neck of their citizens. It hasn't worked out like we thought. I think that's exactly right. And I think that, uh, you know, it's sad because uh, I'll just correct one thing. I, look, the Chinese citizens want freedom. You're right. It's just Abs- that, you know, absolutely correct. I'm, I'm more talking about the leadership. I should not have conflated the two. So very good. Exactly. point. And I mean, too, I mean, we've got you've got a repressive, tyrannical government uh, in Beijing. And uh, it is suppressing now the, the and I'm worried about this. I'm worried about Hong Kong. I'm worried about Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, I like your idea. Let's shift. Let's get China out of the supply chain and let's use India. Let's use uh, Taiwan. Let's use uh, Singapore. Let's use um, Vietnam. Vietnam has 100 million people. It's a big country. Yeah. Um, so uh, 
I, I'm with you on that. And I think China is a big problem. And I think we will. One thing I believe one of the reasons uh, Donald Trump won the election. Remember when he came down that escalator in 2015, he said, China, I, I'm, he reversed the course of what happened under the, the Bushes and the Clintons and the Obamas. And, and I think yeah. he was right. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you with India either. I'm just constantly frustrated. They always seem to be on the cusp of major reforms from their old labor models and something yeah. always seems to get in the way. And it is just endlessly yeah, yeah, frustrating yeah, for me. Vietnam is really turning capital. Isn't it ironic that the country that we went to war with, you know, 50 years ago yeah. is now turning And, and Steve, capital. I was just there. Uh, well, not just a year ago at the Singapore summit. Yeah. And like, granted, I, I mean, a lot of it's just anecdotal, but my, they, they love Americans over there. I mean, they, they yeah. could not have been nicer everywhere. I went. we went to a lot of places could not have been nicer and more welcoming. There was you, like you said, this country we went to war with, there were people still alive, obviously who, who fought. There was, I sensed no anti, America. There were signs everywhere welcoming everyone. So very interesting. Yeah. Um, again, shifting gears a little bit from trade and taxes and inflation to debt. You know, I'm I'm a debt and deficit hawk. Always have been. You know, we can't run from it. We are in a massive debt apocalypse right now. What did Mitch Daniels call it? The red menace years ago. Um, and it hasn't gotten any better under this presidency. I, I get it. I know he's dealing with a Democratic Congress. Um, I'm not blaming it all on President Trump, of course. Uh, I know he's made statements about doing something about it. But my question is, when do we reach that breaking point? I know there's some controversy. Was it was at the Roganoff study, whatever it was, where, where, where there's never really an exact number, but they say roughly 90% of your GDP and you start reaching that breaking point. Well, we're, we're there. I mean, when does that happen where interest rates just start to go through the roof and the economy really starts to hurt? Well, I, my theory on the debt, I mean, I'm a debt hawk too. I mean, I've been uh, involved in the federal budget policy since I was 24 years old in 1984 when I came to Washington and worked for the president, Reagan. Uh, so I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I, I, my, my own opinion is right now, what you need to do is make sure the economy grows faster than the debt. And under Trump in his first three years, that was happening. The economy was growing so fast, you know, that, that you know, your, your, your income is going up faster than your debt, then you're okay. The problem is when your income goes down, your debt goes up, then you, then you got a problem, right? And so uh, we need to, we need to stop the spending. I don't think there's need to spend another dime. We've already spent uh, well over $3 trillion on this coronavirus uh, crisis and the lockdown. Uh, this is why I love the idea of the payroll tax. Just just let people keep their money for the rest of the year, for just for the year. And then when we get the economy up and running, we go back to the old system. Uh, but we cannot continue to spend. If we were to pass the Pelosi bill, Dan, yeah. federal spending as a share of our GDP would go to 52 percent. That has never happened before in the history of this country, not even at the peak of World War II, when we were fighting the Nazis and the Japanese, yeah. did we spend 52 percent of our GDP. That would think about this. That would mean that our government sector in the United States would be larger than all of the private production of all our businesses and all our private sector workers. There's something, I mean, even, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders in his wildest dreams never thought we'd get there. So we have to stop spending and borrowing money right now. You know, you make a critical point about government spending as a portion of our GDP. And I try to make simple analogies with my audience. I love economics. We don't do it as much as we used to, given Spygate and everything else that's, else that's going on. Unfortunately, the news cycle is just overwhelming. But the point I try to make is think about it. 50% of our national gross domestic product being consumed by the government. And I always say to people, what are you getting for that? 
I mean, your garbage is probably picked up twice a week. Most of you never call the cops. You may call once a month. God forbid. I hope you don't. I haven't called the cops, I think, forever. Um, the, the fire department, I hope they never come to your house. I've had to deal with the fire department once. We had a house fire. So, uh, you know, I'm alive 45 years. My interactions with government outside of some paved roads um, – Really, Steve, is not that substantial, yet you're working, collectively us, are working to produce, and 50% of the time, we're giving the money to government. And then what Arthur Raccoon called the leaky bucket, right? They take the government, the money, they take a cut for themselves, and then they give it back to us. It's it's absurd. You're not getting anything for your money. Uh, wait, let me just take that away. Our military is terrific, too. I don't want to leave that out in our court system. But really, is that worth 50% of our collective effort? You know, kind of a weird, weird way we look at that. Give you a couple of examples of what you're talking about. First of all, um, let's just take one agency, um, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC. We give that agency 10 billion, not 10 million, 10 billion dollars a year. Uh, we also spend uh, we spend about two trillion dollars a year on healthcare in, in Washington. Now, but th let's think about CDC. 10 billion dollars a year. What, why do we have a center for disease control to protect us from pandemics? Right. That's why we have this agency. <laughs> right. Well, Dan, if you looked at their website over the last three or four years, they're talking about climate change, transgender issues, all this crap that has nothing to do with protecting us from a pandemic. Now we have a pandemic. And, you know, if you want to look at an agency that totally screwed up everything from the very start till today, it's been the Center for Disease Control because they took their they had so much money and, you know, they did. They, they weren't prepared for a pandemic, which is why we paid them all that money in the first place. So government is highly inefficient. Uh, we've got to get the government down to about half of its size right now. I like the idea of, you know, that look, there's two people, two groups of people that you can't fire today. You know who they are? Well, government employees are definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, two, well, I'm speaking about two groups, okay, of government employees, because you're right. You can't fire bad cops and you can't fire bad teachers. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Those are two of our most important professions, right? Yeah. I mean, and the reason you can't is because they are members of government unions. You know, it's just it's sickening that we put our kids in front of incompetent teachers. And, I mean, and Steve, ironically, and having been a former police officer myself, yeah. I'd make the case to you that those two subsets of people, bad cops and bad teachers, do more societal damage than and any other group of people out there. You know, our cops are great. I love them. I, I'm, oh, I'm on their side. I always back them up. Our teachers, teachers change my life. But the bad and awful ones are entirely destroying the intellectual you know, possibilities and the achievement and aptitude of a generation of kids. And, you know, it's a darn shame, Steve. Steve, hold that thought. I'm going to take one quick break. I'm going to come right back. Uh, I, I want to expound on this a little bit. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Stephen Moore, author of the great book, Trumponomics. Folks, please pick it up. Support Steve's work. He's really terrific. We'll be right back. Finally, today's show brought to you by our friends at Cryo Freeze, their CBD roll-on. This is the go-to in my house. Now more than ever, it's critical to take care of yourself and avoid unnecessary trips to the doctor, chiropractor, or masseuse. Social distancing is having an effect on everything these days. And nothing's more important right now than keeping your body healthy and pain-free. So if you're sitting at home suffering from aches and pains from arthritis, back aches, muscle soreness, or joint pain, you want to try a drug-free solution, you owe it to yourself to try Cryo-free CBD pain-free roll-on. Just rolling on, literally just like that. That cool menthol takes my arthritis pain right away. It's a one-two 
punch of super cold menthol and hemp CBD. Simply roll cryofreeze onto your back, your neck, your hands, or any other painful areas and block the pain, reduce inflammation, and improve joint and muscle flexibility. Cryofreeze contains 10 powerful ingredients combined, a powerhouse dose of relief, which can last up to eight hours. Lasts a lot longer for me. Love this stuff. I have really bad arthritis. Try cryofreeze today and learn why so many people have rated it five stars. The feedback on this product has been tremendous and have written letters thanking Omax for the life-changing relief they're getting. I send them their emails when you send them in. Omax is offering my listeners 20% off a one-month supply of Omax Cryofreeze plus free shipping. This discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to Omax, O-M-A-X, health.com today and a promo code Bongino. That's omaxhealth.com, enter code Bongino to get 20% off Omax Cryofreeze and site-wide. You have pain that won't go away like I do? You qualify for Omax Cryofreeze. Simply roll it over where it hurts and ice out that pain. No messy creams or fragrances like some of those other products. Cryofreeze works within five minutes of application, improving physical training, recovery, and performance. Paula uses it on her neck all the time. Go to omaxhealth.com, enter promo code Bongino, get 20% off, cryofreeze, and site-wide. That's omaxhealth.com, enter code Bongino to get 20% off and site-wide. Check them out. All right, we're back with Steve Moore, author of the great book, Trumponomics. Please pick it up, check it out. Uh, economic advisor to President Trump and a member of his Economic Recovery Task Force. So, Steve, before the break, uh, you had mentioned bad teachers and, and bad police officers as being a real problem. And I agree. And the, the bad teachers has bothered me forever. Um, you know, I, I get it. School choice is not a, it's not a great political issue for people. It is. I've run for office three times almost, but you know, almost in horseshoes and hand grenades, almost one, uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, but one of the things I found is it doesn't resonate. I think the reason is this, uh, you have people in, in struggling communities where their politicians keep telling them it's going to get better tomorrow when it won't. And then you have middle-class families who have pretty good public schools who are like, well, I don't want to change it either. Uh, but the real shame of it is you have a generation of black and Hispanic youth who live in a different America than you and I do. We've been privy to educational opportunities. I did my MBA. I did my MA. It's, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying I had the opportunity to go to school and, 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 and advance my life. And, and other, these kids are never going to get that. They come out of eighth grade with the reading skills of a fourth and fifth grader. It's really grossly unfair. And I see school choice as an economic issue, not in dollars and cents, but an economic fairness issue as much as anything else. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think that the, you know, one of the tragedies of what's gone on in this country in the last, uh, you know, several weeks with the, all of these riots is that, um, you know, racism is not the problem for black America. I mean, we have less racism in America today than any time in the history of this country. The problem for black America is two, two things. One is the absence of black fathers in the homes. And the second is um, the terrible schools that we, we you know, force upon, uh, upon um, inner city blacks. And you can solve both those problems. I've urged Donald Trump, you know, I, I, just give him a voucher. Let him go to a good school. It, it, let, let every, you know, Barack Obama, he had his choice for his kids where they went to school. That's Why right. not the, the, the poor kids? And, 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 uh, and if you did those two things that we need to put an emphasis. And this is where I think Barack Obama really let us down. I mean, because he is an outstanding father. And I wish he had really taken a stand for, for black um, he just wouldn't do it, you know, because he didn't want to. But but, you know, having a black father in the home makes all the difference in the world, just as a, a white father, too. I mean, yeah. a, we need intact households to the most, greatest extent possible. So I couldn't be more in agreement with you that uh, that we should really provide every family in America with a great school. And we don't. 
And the great irony is this is really, sadly, I say, a conservative issue. Sadly, because it shouldn't be. This should be bipartisan. You know, it's interesting, too, because Arne Duncan is uh, one of Obama's former education uh, secretaries there, was actually a supporter of school choice and then seemed to just disappear on the issue completely once he had the influence to do something. Um, By the way, you know, the reason for all this, Dan, Dan, the reason for this is that Democrats care more, more about the teachers unions than they do oh, about yeah. the kids. And it's just yeah, that simple. They care more yeah. about the unions than they do about the kids. And it is changing as a political issue, though, too, which is, is is rewarding for me. I noticed down here in Florida, Ron DeSantis ran on school choice and got a historically high number of female black voters to go to the polls for him. So good for Ron DeSantis. Uh, Steve, you've been generous with your time. Just a couple of quick questions. We'll wrap up. But I wanted to get your opinion on, um, you know, Hauser's Law. It's one of these things where, you know, we Hauser, this Hauser's Law is out there that, you know, no matter what the tax rates are, if they're super high, people are going to avoid the taxes. If they're fair, people will pay them. It, it basically says whatever the tax rates are, you're going to roughly raise, in the United States at least, about the same amount of money through taxation. You just keep raising them, people are just going to avoid them and pay tax accountants instead. What do you think roughly the tax rate should be if we were to have, say, one national flat tax for everyone at the federal level? Are you in the 20, low 20 range? Well, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm a big advocate of the flat tax. Steve Forbes is, you know, one of my best buddies in the world. Remember when he ran for president? Oh, yeah, that was his, that's his thing. Yeah. yeah, that really caught caught uh, caught fire with people. Um, so it was somewhere around, you know, 18, 19, 20 percent. And what you do is get rid of all the loopholes. And so everybody, you know, all the big you know, corporations and all the wealthy people don't have places to hide their money. Uh, it is fair. It's popular, actually. People love that idea. And then you, you're, uh, let's say every uh, dollar you earn less than, say, $30,000 or $40,000, you don't pay tax on it. So, you know, you're, you're not paying tax uh, until, you know, you're reach some level. Uh, that would be great. It would you could fill out your tax forms in 15 minutes. It would be. I mean, can you imagine what would happen in the United States if we had a flat tax? How much money would come oh, into the? We just suck capital from the rest of the world. And this is a really important point, Dan, because look at the tax plan that uh, Joe Biden has. He wants to raise every tax he can get his fingers. <laughs> he wants to raise the payroll tax. He wants to raise the gas tax. He wants to raise the income tax. He wants a wealth tax. He want, I mean, I can't even keep track of all the taxes that he wants. And that will do severe damage to this country. We will have him. Look, I, I, I'm not one for exaggeration. So, so I'm being very serious here. I believe if, if you get Nancy Pelosi as speaker and you have Joe Biden as president, we all have a great depression. Yeah, I know. I don't disagree. I don't see that as hyperbolic at all. I don't think you're exaggerating one bit. You know, it's, it's interesting you said that. I know you're one of your great friends is Larry Kudlow, who's a messaging genius, too. He does, it's not just the economics. Part. I've interviewed him quite a bit on the radio when I was doing a guest work over at MAL. And he always has a way of just kind of putting things in people's pockets and nice messaging boxes. And he always talks about take home pay, take home pay as a messaging point. And it's interesting because one of the points we had uh, we discussed on the radio in regards to this this, how the taxation levels are almost irrelevant. You're just going to get tax avoidance. By the way, tax evasion is a crime. Tax avoidance is a national pastime. Uh, you know, they're two different things, right? People pay accountants to legally avoid taxes all the time. So one of the points I, Larry and I, I think, made in this interview a while ago, and I wish Republicans would talk about more in a messaging front here, is the fact that Reagan cut the tax rate from 71%, the top margin rate, to 28%, and government revenue, Steve, 
went up dramatically. Matter of yeah. fact, it doubled when he got out of office. That's an irrefutable fact. Yep, it sure is. We talk about that in Trumponomics. In our first meeting with Donald Trump, uh, Dan, when uh, Larry and I sat down with him in his office there on Fifth Avenue, I know you've been there, and uh, we sat down with him for about an hour and we showed him a chart, that that very chart you're talking about. We said, it's here's the 70% tax rate, and then it came down to 28%, and the revenues went up. And uh, you're right, the revenues were $500 billion when when Reagan came into office, there were a trillion dollars uh, eight years later when he left office. By the way, the you know where Larry Kudlow got that line about real take-home pay? From the Gipper, from Reagan. Reagan used to always talk about people's right? real home pay. Yeah, yeah. he just hammered that on the radio and I never forgot that line when I ran for office. And he actually mentioned some interesting points that, you know, the largest take-home pay measured tax cut uh, in American history uh, was at the time was JFK. Now it wasn't the large, per- largest percentage point cut, but JFK went from, what was it? 91 to 70, which when you think about it really tripled at, at the high end, some of the people's take home pay after a certain margin, which I found to be a fascinating point that somehow gets and JFK, obviously being a Democrat, but some of the things he fought for on the economic front, he'd be considered a Republican right now. I was going to say that if JFK, look, JFK was for a strong military, he was pro-life, he was pro-tax cut, uh, you know, he believed in American greatness. They would laugh him out of the Democratic Party yeah. today. Oh, JFK was a great president and he believed in conservative. I mean, can you imagine a Democrat running as a pro-life guy today? Yeah, no, it's a shame. I mean, I ran for Congress against John Delaney, who uh, he's not a social conservative by any stretch, but he's for the Democrats. He's definitely economically conservative for that party and got absolutely nowhere, despite the fact that on the debate stage, Steve, he was the only sensible one up there. It was a you know, it was a real shame. I, I mean, I vote Republican down the line, but it would have been rewarding to get a diversity of ideas. And that's all lost. Steve, I won't take up any no, more of your time. This was a yeah. fascinating discussion. We covered inflation, taxes, education reform. You were terrific. Please pick up Steve's book, Trumponomics, available at bookstores everywhere. It's really an eye opener, folks. And Mr. Moore, thank you so much. Like I said, I've read your stuff for years. It's fascinating to finally talk to you. You didn't disappoint me one bit. Leave you with this one thought. Donald Trump is going to win in November. I feel very strongly about that. I knew he was going to win in 2016 and he's going to win again this time. From your mouth to God's ears, brother Steve. <laughs> Thanks for those final thoughts. We'll see you Thanks. all soon. Thanks, Thanks, Steve. Have a great one. Again. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen.